the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, and we are on our second episode back from the holiday break. And today we are going all in on Japanese RPGs. We're going to do a deep dive. And with me is returning guest Elliot Gay. Welcome back to the show, Elliot. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure, as usual. Yeah, of course. We'd love to have you. Elliot, what are you up to these days? You're back in the US, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm planted firmly in the U.S. for now. Um, right now, I actually uh, I write for sci-fi games uh, under G4 um, these days, but I still keep running my own site, Doki Doki Kusoge, just for the import stuff. Right on. Do you have a good holiday? Do you play a lot of RPGs? You know, I probably didn't play nearly as much as I should have, but I got some time in here and there. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I ended up playing games that were all coming out in 2016. Like, I wasn't playing any of my backlog games. <laughs> oh, God, don't talk to me about the backlog. It just looks worse and worse the more I look at it. I did put some serious time and effort into Trails of Cold Steel. Did you play that one? So, okay, I'm a, I'm a major Trails fanboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played all seven games that are out. Dang. Uh, I believe Cold Steel is the sixth, and then Cold Steel 2 is the seventh. Um, so I was kind of a veteran of the series by the time I got to it. But yeah, I've been playing the English version, actually, um, recently, just to check out the localization. So just really quickly, what are your thoughts on Trails of Cold Steel, and does it measure up with Trails in the Sky as a, speaking from the perspective of a longtime Legend of Heroes fan? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult question insofar as that when you start to talk about the, the sixth game in a series that has a very strict chronology and timeline and, like, continuity between games, um, it became a point where I think Falcom was trying to figure out how can we make each game a jumping in point for new people while at the same time giving old fans what they want, you know, the continuation of the story. Uh, so in that sense, like, tr- Cold Steel is I'd say as much of a slow burn as the original Trails in the Sky was in a lot of ways, in that, you know, you don't really see the bigger plot until at least halfway through the game. There's a lot of setup, uh, especially in the case of Cold Steel, because it's a country that these games have been talking about for close to a decade now without ever actually going to them. And so they have to sort of build on all these locations that you've never seen before, because Erebonia, the country that it takes place in, is supposed to be the biggest country on the continent, and all the previous, you know, all five games that take place before this talk about how gigantic, and like how, you know, it, it sticks to its class system, it has these problems, this civil strife, etc. So Cold Steel kind of has the un, you know, lucky stance of having to burden, take on all that burden. Uh, on the flip side, I'd say that the payoff in the game is one of the best uh, payoffs in the series, and as a result, the sequel, Trails of Cold Steel 2, which is coming out this year, I think Exceed said, is probably the best game in the series. Because it had an entire game set up, you know. Can I just, like, take a pass on Trails of Cold Steel and jump right into Trails of Cold Steel 2? Oof, that would be real difficult. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's, right. there's, if nothing else, uh, at least seeing the end of the first game is very important for context. I gotcha. Yeah, Trails of Cold Steel, so the way that you're putting it, it makes it sound like it kind of depends on you having a, at least a little bit of investment in the world going in uh, to have this emotional connection to this this country. It's like, oh, I'm seeing this country for the first time. This is really exciting. 
Yeah, you know, to some extent, I think Falcom does as good a job as they can making it a jumping in point by not referencing things too directly in the past. Um, you know, it resets by having a full cast of new characters, at least at the beginning. Um, and then it slowly eases you into familiar faces later on. But um, for what it's worth, I mean, yes, fans of the series will get the most out of this first game. But I think if you stick with it to the end, um, you'll be as fond of this world as probably anybody else who's played these games. Yeah, uh, I am speaking as somebody who is relatively fresh to the series. And I felt like it did a perfectly good job of giving me context for what's going on in terms of the, the class system and what's going on with this country and the backdrop of everything mm-hmm. that's going on. Um, if anything, it was a little bit heavy-handed in the way that it set everything oh, yeah. up. Um, I I agree with you that it is definitely a bit of a slow burn, and in fact, I I wrote an article about it. But yes, it. I mean, it takes like the first like it's ten hours in, and it's you're just finishing the first chapter. There are like I think five or six chapters. Yeah, give or take. Yeah, give or take. And, like, the friggin' tutorial takes for... Just the friggin' prologue takes forever, so... It's a, it's a big game. Yeah. Like, in some ways, it's kind of impressive. Like, it's a slow burden, but at the same time, it's it's sort of impressive because Falcom is by no means uh, a big company. I would argue that chances are pretty strong in terms of numbers. It's probably about as big as something like Compile Heart, to be honest. But the they... I don't know. It seems like they they kind of reach for something much bigger. Like, yes, it looks like a PlayStation 2 game. I think that's fine for this sort of game and for that kind of company. Um, but it's kind of... Uh, it's impressive that they still went out of their way to try to build an old-school, large world. Um, and you don't really... Unfortunately, you don't get the freedom to explore it so much in the first game. But in the second game, they pretty much just take the, the chains off and they say you can go wherever you want to. And the whole world is connected in a really, like plausible kind of way that, you know, even in big budget RPGs these days, everything is kind of mission based or you select a thing from a menu and go. Um, so it was kind of nostalgic to see a company go back to trying to make that kind of big game only in 3D. Yeah, I definitely won't fault its ambition, um, especially in the way that it handled the relationships between the characters and that sort of thing. Yeah. And the battle system, it grew on me as time went on. I initially wasn't that impressed with it because it seemed a bit of a just keep hitting them um, and healing until you die. It didn't seem like there was a ton of strategy going into it, but I like the the movement abilities and that kind of thing. Um, I like the... Oh God, I'm trying to think of it. The, the way that it works is that you have what was it, crafts and then you have spells and crafts are innate abilities and spells are more general abilities. Yes. And... You can move your characters around the map. And on the one hand, it's good to kind of flank enemies and uh, put them in a bad position. But I also kind of liked being able to keep my party together so mm-hmm. that I could benefit from, like, area of effect spells and that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and buffs. Buffs are very important in this one. So, uh, But, of course, if you keep your party together, that makes you more susceptible to enemy spells. So... There is a nice little bit of risk-reward going on there. Yeah, and I would argue that uh, I think the standard difficulty in this game is not good enough for most like RPG veterans. Uh, I think you kind of want to start on the one above that. Uh, I always thought the normal was a little bit too easy in this game, too, especially compared to the last few. Um, so that's just a tip for anybody who picks this up. 
Yeah, man, I'm playing Darkest Dungeon right now, and compared to that, Trails of Cold yeah. Steel is like easy mode. Yeah, which I know they're totally different games, but whatever. That said, there is a steep uh, wall that appears about three quarters into the game where mm. they kind of just stop playing around. And even on my new game plus, uh, when I was you know level like a hundred something, like I was having a huge amount of trouble beating certain bosses even though I was way above the level to be able to beat them normally uh, on normal mode. So, um, yeah, no, it, it, it does get tougher, but, yeah, at the beginning it's it's much easier, probably than any of the previous Trails games. Yeah, last thought on Trails of Cold Steel. I feel like this is maybe actually a better game for people who are new to the series to jump into than Trails in mm. the Sky, which Trails in the Sky is, by all accounts, an outstanding game, but it has some, like, really limited presentation it, yeah. it looks really old school, whereas, I mean, Trails of Cold Steel isn't the best looking game by any sh- uh, shape, uh, by any means, but yeah. it's a darn good looking Vita game, and yeah. it looks fine think, in HD, so, yeah. I think where they, they benefit is that they have a strong eye for visual design in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, you know, you go to a town, and a town's not just like a, a place with, you know, box buildings everywhere. Like, it's a carefully designed location. Yeah, the pixel count's not going to make it look amazing or Square Enix level of polish, but... And this is something that, you know, even in the previous Trails games, like, even in their old school nature, like, you go into a town and it has a certain feel to it and atmosphere, um, because they're not just kind of plopping buildings down, you know, hunky-dory, I guess. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree in that. And, I, you know, I've been seeing it a lot, too. A lot of people have been jumping in at Trails of Cold Steel instead of... Um, FC or SC. And, you know, I think that's fine because when you finish this game, generally speaking, there's enough, um, I guess there's enough hooks in there that would make someone, if they enjoyed this game, want to go back and see what the heck they were talking about in the first place. Um, especially when you get to Cold Steel 2 and it brings in plot points from, you know, all the games in different ways. Like, that's how kind of Falcom advertises their stuff. Like, if you look in Famitsu or Dengeki PlayStation, the magazines in Japan, uh, when a new Falcom game is coming out, specifically a new uh, Trails game, they'll always have an ad at the beginning of the magazine for the new game, and then at the bottom corner, a big picture of all the previous games that are still on sale, um, because they kind of intend for people to go back and grab those games as well at some point. And that's kind of how each game has been selling more than the last, despite the fact that it's a series that is continuous with its story. That should be really difficult, but because they keep pushing their old stuff as something you want to you wanna go back to eventually, I think fans keep on coming in instead of leaving. Unfortunately, the localization history for Legend of Heroes is kind of spotty over here. So, Oh, God, yeah. To say the least. <laughs> Those those three PSP games, it's the most depressing thing in the world because those are some Falcom classics on the PC, and when Bandai and Namco brought them over, they changed battle systems, they changed the gameplay, and they hired Google Translate to do the translations, apparently. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, those are terrible versions of those games. Unfortunately, um, while I can definitely see the merit of this game, and the ambition is really good, and I like the battle system, and the presentation is generally fine... And I think it's uh, I think it's definitely an above average RPG. Um, it's difficult for me to recommend to people who aren't already invested in JRPGs or into like anime, essentially. Oh because yeah, it's, it's so yeah, it, it it very it leans really heavily on anime tropes and a, a certain anime like perspective, which is not a bad thing at all. Um, 
when I was talking about that in my article, some people thought that I was saying that it was basically on the level of a, a hyperdimension Neptunia. Yeah, I saw some comments, and I was like, I don't think that's what she's getting. And I was like, no, I, I really, I think this is a much better game than a hyperdimension Neptunia. And I think it's just more that if you are not into anime or you're, you don't like that particularly particular sense of humor, then the aesthetic and the writing might end up turning you off a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's still like if you're like neutral to those things, maybe give it a shot. Um, but I, I I think it's definitely one of those RPGs that's like yes, we know what our niche is, we know what our audience is in Japan and in the U.S., and we're gonna cater to it, and we don't care about going mass market. And I can respect that. Um, I'm just like pointing that out. Oh yeah, and to be to be perfectly fair, uh, these games in particular, and and Trails did this as well, but Trails was a different time period, I guess you could say, early 2000s. Um, they, they lean heavily into tropes, especially in like the opening acts, and then they lean heavily in the opposite direction later with those characterizations. Uh, they kind of use, like, the tro- a lot of times they use tropes as a jumping-off point for their characters to evolve and change into things that you're not so familiar with in anime uh, characterizations, which is really cool. The downside to that is that you have to stick around from the beginning, and if you don't stick around, you might just assume that that's, you know, what you get the whole time. And that's part of the reason why, in some ways, it is almost better to start with the old games, because then you you see a, a more smooth evolution of those things. You know, Trails in the Sky is not nearly as, you know, quote-unquote anime as, as Trails of Cold Steel is. Uh, for you know a variety of reasons, but if you play those games, you'll see that kind of I guess that graph line slowly curve upward and kind of change, as opposed to jumping deep in on the uh, the more full on like bright colorful anime style that Cold Steel presents. Man, I, I I've heard the same thing about Trails of Cold Steel that it gets a lot more nuanced in its characterization as the game goes on and the cast kind of deepens and becomes more interesting. Yeah, but fifteen to twenty hours is a long time to put yeah. into a game to wait for that. Absolutely, and I mean, you know, it's rough when you're talking about a game that's anywhere from fifty to eighty hours long, because you know, when you think about like pacing and stuff like that, like it becomes a whole different beast. You know, it's kind of the same problem I I talk about when I, I write about visual novels and stuff. Like those are games that you know are typically like anywhere from thirty to sixty hours of just you know reading. And, like, the pacing is really strange, and, you know, if you tell someone, oh, just hold on 10 hours, it'll get good at hour 15, like, it, at, on one hand, like, that is an absurd request to make, but on the other hand, like, the genre kind of asks for it in a weird way, whether it's the fault of the genre or the game itself, you know, it's hard to say, but I totally understand that, you know, that's... That's why, you know, with these games, as much as I love Trails, it's my favorite game series, it's hard for me to recommend them without caveats, just because people don't have that kind of time. Indeed. So, looking back at some other RPGs that came out in 2015, over on your blog, your Tumblr, Doki Doki Kusoge, sorry, um, you posted your top ten games of the year. Um, Number one was a visual novel. Surprisingly, a Steins Gate Zero, but... (laughs) But number two was a game that I think that a number of people here who listen to this podcast would appreciate is Bravely Second. And I, I kind of poo-pooed, uh, bravely, bravely default in our last episode a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a fan, I, I figured that you could be a good counterweight and say like, all right, what does bravely second bring to the table and what, what makes it special? 
So, Bravely Second is a weird game, and believe me, um, not everybody who played Bravely Second loved Bravely Second either. Um, it's, it's a weird game. It's a much, you can tell it was much lower on the priorities list for Square Enix as a company, not necessarily to the staff that worked on it, but as a, as a broader company. They clearly allocated less funds to this game uh, as kind of a quicker follow-up. Uh, I compared it in a lot of ways to uh, Final Fantasy X-2, not so much in terms of tone and, and story and stuff like that, but in terms of like reusing locations, reusing assets and stuff like that, um, going back to old locations years later to see how they've changed or how they haven't changed. Um, but you know, whereas Bravely Default, I felt was a like I, I like the story of that game a lot. Uh, I didn't play it in English, so I don't know what the localization did or didn't do for it. Um, but you know, in Japanese, I really enjoyed the narrative. It was a it was darker than I expected. A lot of like pretty much everybody dies in that game for the most part, except for the heroes. Um, but Bravely Second. It kind of runs in the opposite direction. In some ways, it, it's almost a meta commentary on some of the things you do in Bravely Default. Um, and it, it's hard to go into that without spoiling things, but like, just, you know, the main protagonist is this, is a three musketeer, essentially. He's a musketeer. Um, and a lot of things happen at the beginning of the game that totally throw his sense of justice and, and pride and belonging into disarray. That's when he meets Magnolia, who's from the moon. Um, she's like a, a monster hunter from the moon. Um, and it goes into some crazy stuff. This is actually a sci-fi RPG. I don't know if, uh, that comes through or not. <laughs> but, um, and you know, she speaks, uh, English fluently. And one of the things that actually really surprised me is normally in these games, when you have a Japanese character speaking English, it's like the worst thing in the world because the English is bad, it's broken, it's poorly acted. Uh, ironically, they hired a voice actress who was fluent in English, and so the English dialogue is perfect and, and really charming in a lot of ways. Um, but the actual gameplay, the thing is the gameplay doesn't change that much because the American version of Bravely Default was the version... The Japan got as a revision to prepare for the sequel. So all the new stuff that got added for America and that revision, they were added specifically to test those systems for a sequel. That's why in Japan it was called Bravely Default for the sequel. You know, there was no cutting corners about it. Like, we're adding this stuff in to see if it works, and if you like it, give us your feedback, and we're going to use that for the sequel. So in that sense, like, the gameplay doesn't really change that much. Um, I'd say it's a more challenging game in a lot of ways. The new jobs add a lot to the way you kind of think about party management and the like. But um, where the game really shines, I think, is in its core cast and its new villains uh, and kind of the weird meta story. I also think it has the best uh, boss fight, final boss fight of 2015. And as much as I love Undertale, Undertale's final boss in some ways, when I played it last month for the first time, uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. It reminded me of Bravely Second's final boss battle uh, to the point where if they had actually come out in the same year in the same region, I would have kind of narrowed my eyes a little bit because there's some similarities there. But yeah, it's just a really compelling story. It's funny. It's very charming and it has like a good message, a very like forward looking message as opposed to like, oh, we got to we gotta kill God and okay, we saved the day and you know, we lost some people in the process and that sucks, but okay, happy days for everybody. Um, yeah, I don't know, it's just, it's a really, it's a good throwback on top of being a good modernization of those, like, classic RPG titles. I think that's why I'm so happy that, kind of, Square Enix, I, I'm assuming, looked at the success of the Bravely games on some level and decided to make Tokyo RPG Factory, um, their, like, RPG studio for classics. Uh, you have that, you know, new one coming out, um, Setsuna to, I can't remember, it's like, it's a Vita PS4 RPG coming out, but it looks really fantastic. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, I imagine that the Bravely games have something to do with that, just because people, you know, want these old-school classic games. I know I do. <laughs> One of the key uh, criticisms of the original Bravely Default was that it got super grindy in the back half of the game. Yeah. Um, is that the case with Bravely Second? No, there's a moment where you think it's going to do that, and then it kind of just smiles and is like, no, nah, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again. Because uh, that was actually the big complaint in Japan as well. Is a lot of people like the story aspect of it, but they didn't like the gameplay that came with it. <laughs> um, and so there was actually a bunch of live streams right after Bravely Default first released uh, where they were taking feedback from the audience. It's actually really cool, the producers and the director and stuff. They're taking notes for the sequel. Um, and, you know, the biggest complaint was, yeah, you know, like... The story stuff in the back half was cool, but having to do all those things and, and all that grindy stuff was not fun. Uh, and they clearly took that message to heart uh, with the sequel, I think. So, okay. Well, Bravely Default, uh, Bravely Second, sorry, is coming out later this year in the U.S. And I believe another game that is coming out later this year is SMT Cross Fire Emblem. Yes, which, a weird game. Weird game got released in Japan over the holidays. The 26th of December, I believe. Uh, by all accounts, was a bit of a flop. Is, is that the case? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Though I don't think anybody who watches the, um, the Japanese sales charts expected this to be much of a success on the Wii U, no less. But, yeah, it was definitely a flop. Yeah, I was going to say that it's a Wii U game. I mean, what do you expect? Uh, home console games are very niche propositions at best. Mm-hmm. And... And if a game is going to sell on anything, it's going to be the PlayStation 3, because people have finally bought into the PS3 a little bit over yeah, there. Yeah, the PS4, yeah. It's pretty much PS4, 3DS, Vita, and then the Wii U will have its occasional huge things like you know Splatoon, which just crossed a million not too long ago, crazily enough. Um, yeah. All right, so SMT Crossfire Emblem, you said you put like 10 to 12 hours into it. I mean, first of all... Tell us about what the structure of the game actually is, and then tell us your thoughts. Okay, this, this is a weird game. Um, I, have a, I actually took notes because there's, this, this is a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, so the, the full name of the game is uh, Gene Ibunroku Sharp Fe, which is like illusionatory, like, I don't even know how to put it into English at this point. But um, So it's not quite Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem so much as it's Atlas, Crossfire Emblem, if that makes any sense, uh, because you don't have any um, Shin Megami Tensei demons, you don't have any of those monsters. Um, there's some referencing here and there, but generally speaking, all the entire bestiary is, is new creatures or plays on Fire Emblem characters. Um, but the actual format is should be familiar to anybody who's played a recent Atlas game, specifically a Persona game. Um, you have kind of your city hub where you select from a menu places to go on the city. So, you know, in this case, I'm going to go to Harajuku, I'm going to go to Shibuya. It takes place in Tokyo. Um, and then you have your kind of main hub, which is your office. Because in this game, all the characters belong to a Japanese talent agency. Um, you know, your main character hasn't really decided on what he wants to be, but, like, his best friend is going to end up being a model. His other friend is an actor in, you know, Power Rangers, Kamen Rider TV shows. Another friend of his is a pop singer, etc. Like, they all work at the same office, and they all have this ability to summon what are called mirages. And mirages are Fire Emblem characters, effectively, who have lost their memory. They kind of wandered into our dimension for some reason. That's part of the plot. For some reason, they've lost their memory, they've wandered into our dimension, and most of them have been turned evil for some reason. Um, 
And so our heroes end up pairing up with old Fire Emblem characters. For example, the main character, Itsuki, pairs up with Chrome of uh, Fire Emblem Awakening. Um, they've all been redesigned. Um, uh, the secondary character, Tsubasa, she teams up with Shida from the original Fire Emblem games. Then you have Tharja, you have Tiki. And then as villains, you have people like Garrick and Gangrel and Exilus appearing as giant like monsters and stuff. Um, but generally, the flow of the game is split into chapters with intermissions in between each chapter. And, you know, in the core chapter, some story stuff happens, a dungeon unlocks for whatever story reason, like maybe a character got kidnapped or something happened. You go into this dungeon, uh, you clear it, you fight the boss, the chapter's over. You know, in between that, you have, you know, lots of exposition, some side quests, stuff like that. But generally speaking, that's the case. Uh, dungeons are not randomly generated. They're proper uh, dungeons, unlike the Persona games. I'd say they're closer in style to Shin Megami Tensei 4, in that they, you know, they're not super interesting, but they do have their fair share of gimmicks. Uh, the first one, you know, is themed around a uh, fashion store, and so there's different, like, mannequins you have to arrange in order to unlock certain pathways, etc. The second one is themed after a, uh, a model photographer, and so there are pictures of all the people he's kidnapped on the walls and giant cameras everywhere that'll teleport you to the beginning of the area if you go into their line of sight, etc., so you clear those, and when the chapter ends, you have intermission, which is when the game kind of lets you do whatever you want before progressing the story. So you can go back, grind, or you can do what are called uh, side missions, or side stories, which there's no S-Link, there's no social link stuff in this game, um, but each character in the game, all the supporting characters, including your party members and the folks that work at the office, have side stories that you can do. Uh, you have to sort of clear certain objectives or raise them to a certain level in order for them to unlock, but once they do, you can progress them at any time throughout the game. Uh, and these are the more kind of in-depth stories centered around those those secondary characters. Um, I'm about two hours in, and I've unlocked four of them for a few different characters. Uh, and those that's kind of the other half of the meat of the game. If, like, the standard dungeon running is the core, that's kind of the other beefy piece. Um... But that's the the core progression of the story, uh, Sophie. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that it's not a tactics RPG. Uh, if you're going to use the Fire Emblem characters and that sort of thing, I almost kind of expect to be on a grid, you know? Yeah, definitely. It, it's you know I know the director is uh, the same. I'm forgetting his name. Um, he directed Strange Didn't Journey. Did he do Devil Survivor uh, as well? So he was involved with it. I th- he might have been involved with it. I know he directed Strange Journey. Um, so yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have a tactics element, but the battle system is kind of a weird, interesting piece. It's a lot of fun, it's very fast, but it's, it's kind of a weird mix of Fire Emblem ideas and Shin Megami Tensei ideas. So you have a party of three, uh, at any given time. Um, and you know, you have your spells, you have your standard attacks. Uh, the spells are all named after, uh, Shin Megami Tensei spells. So you have, you know, the Bufus, etc., the Garas. Um, and they all act exactly how you imagine. All the buff names, all that stuff, it's all Shin Megami Tensei. So if you're familiar with that brand of spell naming, you will have zero problem knowing exactly what you need to use. Uh, in that sense, buffing and debuffing is just as important as it is in Shin Megami Tensei games. Enemies will kill you immediately if you're not, you know, if you have the wrong element. Uh, that being said, it still abides by the Fire Emblem, uh, sword, what is it, sword? Bow, spear? Is that is that the correct the, order? The rock, the, paper, the scissors uh, kind of style, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's also implemented and the sword in the game axe, as a core function. sword axe spear. Okay. Yeah, 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 all right, you're right. 
and they they also they also dump uh, bow and arrow into that mix as well. Um, but yeah, so that's a core element of the game. And by you know you unlock abilities that allow you to chain attacks together. So for example, if Itsuki attacks with a sword and the enemy is weak against sword attacks, uh, if I have a character that can chain attack they'll attack right after him every single time. And then if I have a third character that chains to that attack, I can have all three characters attack in a row in a single turn and then kind of keep that going. The flip side of that is that enemies can do that too. So if Itsuki gets attacked with like a a spear uh, and he's weak against spear attacks and there's three other enemies in their party that can chain to that, then I'll get hit, you know, four times and potentially just completely annihilated at the start of the, you know, battle if I'm not being careful. So that... And it's not as difficult as a Shin Megami Tensei game typically is, but it still has that same sense of like, okay, I can't really sit on my butt here and just press the A button repeatedly or else I'm going to get wrecked pretty hard. Um, battles aren't random. You see them on the field. Uh, though They sometimes generate around you like a trap, which is also very Shin Megami Tensei 4-esque, where you'll be walking and then all of a sudden you'll hear an alarm ring and then three enemies will be surrounding you coming out of the ground. Um, but yeah, it's it's... Interesting. It's it's kind of I was describing it to a friend as uh, it reminded me of Digital Devil Saga, in the sense that you know you fuse with like a, a demon like character, and then fight using that creature's powers. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. It's fast. It's not what I expected from this game. This whole game is not what I expected at all. But after twelve hours, I'm kind of okay with that. I, I gotta know. say that I think it's gonna get a lot more traction in the U.S. than it did in Japan. Yes, uh, just because. Man, this is so squarely in the wheelhouse of JRPG aficionados over here. It's on a platform yes. that they are most likely to own. Um, it feels like mm-hmm. a lot of them went Wii U because they were kind of turned off by what was going going on with the PS4 and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, it looks great. It's a really stylish game. I'm I'm watching gameplay of it right now, and uh, the animation in particular just looks terrific. Um, it it's yeah, a really lovely looking HD RPG. Um, and I, I'm guessing that it'll get more coverage over here just because, Probably. uh, the, the Japanese, uh, enthusiast press over here is going to latch onto it pretty hard. Uh, so mm-hmm. I know for one, I, I know for that I for one am pretty excited to be playing it. Yeah, you know, and I think, uh, some of the things that I, I think people kind of been mis- not misunderstanding, but I guess, gleaning from the trailers that I wouldn't say is entirely correct is that, like, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, this is a game about idols, and I know there's kind of, like, this feeling with Japanese idols that, like, you know, it's kind of dirty and I don't want to get into it. I understand that, but the game isn't really about that. It's about, a ta- like, a broader talent agency. So, like, you have a character who is absolutely an idol. I mean, the person who manages the place is a former, like, Revere idol. But, like, you have, you know, actors, you have singers, you have, like, an Enka singer. One of the characters is an Enka singer. You have the guy who wants to be a Power Ranger. Like, it's, it's a much more varied cast than that. And, like, there's some silliness, but, like, in general, it doesn't feel any, like, more silly than your average, like, Persona 4 spinoff. Like, if anything, it's maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and to that end, like, I, I encourage people to give it a try. Um, you know, I don't know if Fire Emblem fans are going to be into it because they like Fire Emblem and they don't like Atlas it's games. Like, so, if you don't like an Atlas game and you're a Fire Emblem fan, you're not so going to It's so not like this, you know? Fire Emblem at all. Like, just looking at no, it. No, Because, not. I mean, Fire Emblem, what? It's a fantasy epic, right? It, I mean, yes. it has some anime, like, humor, but by, but by and large, 
it very much is like goes for that kind of epic fantasy feel and I mean, really, SMT Crossfire Emblem looks like an, you know, an Atlas game or an SMT game that just randomly happens to have Fire Emblem characters in it. Yeah. And, you know, there are other Fire Emblem bits, like, for example, the way you level up your class, because each character has a class. So, for example, Itsuki is a lord, uh, you have the various different knights, etc. And when you level up far enough, you can level up those classes and, and those branch out into two different other classes, etc. Um, leveling up, I'm not sure... I'm not absolutely sure, but I think it's a random number generator because you level up the same way you do in a Fire Emblem game with all your stats kind of varying uh, each time. Uh, and you also, just little things too are, are nice, like the Fire Emblem level up sound is the sound you get when you, you level up. Um, a lot of the stuff concerning the battle system has a lot of Fire Emblem influence, just like little touches here and there. You, you see the Fire Emblem themes pop up here and there. Uh, but by and large, like this is an Atlas game with... Fire Emblem stuff in it versus a Fire Emblem game with Atlas stuff in it, if that makes any sense. So, look, if you're a fan of Atlas RPGs, if you like the kind of poppy Persona stuff, like, you'll probably like this game a whole lot. If you're a Fire Emblem fan that has never been crazy about Atlas stuff, this is absolutely not going to change your mind, and if anything, it's probably going to make you... I'm I'm guessing that they will, especially since they made it, like, kind of idol-focused. Not... Not, you know, an idle game, but with idols in it and like that kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah I think yeah. Poppy is a good way to put it. It, it looks very J-pop, and, just... And, you know, this is J-pop the game in a lot of ways. Like, you can unlock, like, characters having actual concerts with, like, full CG and, and audio and stuff. But that said, uh, you know, part of me, I was not super thrilled about this game when it was coming out. Like, I just kind of, I, I totally blew it off for a while until it got closer and closer to release. But after actually playing it for, you know, some hours, I appreciate how much they lean into that stuff versus just kind of having it be an afterthought. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, things as simple as when you open the menu screen, like, you know, also all the UI is incredibly stylish, which is, you know, Atlas's thing. But stuff like, you know, instead of on the menu having... Um, terms like equipment, part of your status. They're replaced with things like coordinate, casting, artists, you know. Uh, moves are called, like, duets, uh, encores, etc. Um, they really lean into the whole performance element of it to the point that you feel like it's intrinsic to the type of game they're making. Like, I feel like somebody on the staff, someone high up on the staff, was like, I want to make a game about the Japanese entertainment industry. They just put me on this project. Screw it, I'm going to go for it. And to that extent, like, I think it works. It's a very cohesive game despite like its weird like beginnings you know and like you said it's kind of it's just kind of nice to see an atlas rpg in hd because this is the first one you've ever gotten um catherine wasn't you know an rpg and we've been waiting for persona 5 for still waiting so like this is actually our first this is our first look at them working with an hd system in like the standard atlas scale and it's it's really nice it looks good it sounds great it's fully voiced which is something the old persona games were not um and yeah, the animation's really solid, the performances are solid, there's a lot of content here. Uh, they use the gamepad in a kind of a fun, silly way, they use it as like a fake Twitter where you communicate with your friends, and like that's where a lot of the side story stuff will pop up. Uh, or while you're dungeon running, if your character now has the ability to level up some of their skills, the bottom screen will tell you it like via the Twitter system, like, hey, if you go back to the, the Bloom Palace, which is where you level up, um, you can go do these things. Uh, so it's actually pretty useful, you know, they also have the map down there as well. But um, it's it's a it's a well put together game. Like this doesn't feel like an afterthought. And I know some people were scared that 
this was just going to be like a random whatever. Um, but I think even if you don't like it, there's no doubt that they wanted to make a good game. I do think here. it is a random whatever. I'm not going to lie. It is very random. In the, sense, in, the, in the sense that it exists at all, absolutely. But I think the people that made it clearly loved what they were doing because I don't think they would go all in on this performance thing if they didn't. It seems like they had a lot of fun making it. And if Persona 5 Definitely. doesn't actually make it out this year, which, I mean, that's on the table. I mean, we'll see. Who knows? It may Who not knows? end up actually making it out to, like, December or something, um, knowing Atlas. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it's a great appetizer, regardless. De- Definitely. And if you have a Wii U, you know, like, this is a solid RPG. Like, look, I'm the first one to tell you I was not crazy about Xenoblade uh, Chronicles X. Oh, we have um, a Xenoblade hater here. No, 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 hater, not hater. No. If, if I ever had to review it for a site, I'd probably give it, like, a, a solid Oh, yep, step. you're a hater. But, <laughs> but like, for me, the things I like about Takahashi's games are the, the crazy out-there narratives, uh, like, sci-fi narratives about, like, you know, Space God and stuff like that. And so, like, moving in the open-world direction was actually kind of the opposite of what I wanted from his sorts of games. So I'm not saying that his game, that, you know, Chronicles X was a bad game so much as it's a game that was not... It was not what me. you wanted... Um, no, exactly. That wasn't what I wanted out of Monolith Soft, and that's fine. You know, a lot of people really like that game, and that's super awesome. But you know, if you were looking for something more traditional in terms of like RPG style, this might be up your boat if you're willing to like kind of dig into something a little bit more shady. All right, time for digression into Gundam because you, <laughs> yeah, best you and digression. Mike are the only people that I can talk to about uh, Mecha stuff, and not only that, but you actually play the games, which is awesome. So, all right. So, SD Gundam, I believe it's called Genesis, G Generation Genesis, or something to that effect, was announced back in December. It's going to be out, I think, on the PlayStation 4, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's, what? Yeah, I want to say it's PlayStation 4 and. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty much it's the whole family. It's PS4, PS3. All right. Have you played the previous SD Gundam games? No, I've always wanted to, but at the time I didn't really have easy access to to imports back in those days. So I had to. It was a Vita game, for God's sake, or no, it was a PSP game, and so it wasn't that hard to get on your systems. It it was a PSP game, but I also wasn't like I had I had a falling out with Gundam at a certain point, and I kind of got back falling out. You broke up years ago. Yeah, I I broke up with Gundam Mm. for a little while, and then I only recently, a few years ago, kind of. Picked it up again and then started keeping up with things, but yeah, you should definitely pick up SD Gundam uh, G Generation, whatever. Assuming that they don't radically change the formula, but assuming that it's not as awful as the Gundam Extreme versus uh, Force game that came out on the oh, last month. Was it bad? Oh, that's 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 my disappointment of oh, last no. year. Elliot, you got to play SD Gundam. It's a bit of a grind, but. It is so much fun to, A, play through the, the different stories, through both the original and the alternate universe stuff. And you yeah. need to, and it's so much fun to try and unlock your favorite suits, uh, by what, evolving them or like, you know, just leveling them up until they get to a certain point and then you can, choose which kind of suit that they're going to turn into or exchanging them for a certain amount of money, etc. Uh, purchasing oh, purchasing like all the different pilots. So you can purchase, like, I swear to God, every pilot in the Gundam universe. And every <sighs> capital ship. 
And by the end, you've just got like this master, this is a freaking armada of Gundams. And it, it gets, it gets a little easy toward the, la- the latter half of the game. Um, as you like pile up everything. And once you have like, once you have your team, you're kind of like, oh, and then you kind of, <laughs> you kind of almost want to stop playing because like the, the actual, you're the actual story is like paper thin for the most part. Uh, it's just pure fan service, but it looks great. The presentation's fantastic, and just the process of unlocking these units, like, uh, God, I've dumped like a hundred hours into the last three of them that have come out, like in six session. Oh, that's dangerous. I, that oh dangerous. no, it is super dangerous. Like, it gets me super duper hooked, and I'll be like sitting around being like, how the heck do I get this one guy? Or, well, maybe I want to work toward this. Um, it is so much fun, and I am pumped that it is finally coming out on the PlayStation 4, assuming that it isn't completely changed. But you can find it on PlayStation Network right now and download it onto your Vita. Okay. And the load times are not great, but it looks it still looks really, really good for a PSP game. Um, and it'll give okay. you like a taste of what you can kind of expect on the PS4. Which I'm sure they're gonna bring like a ton of new shows. They got Gundam Thunderbolt and they got uh the rest of Unicorn and they've got that one game that uh the that one show that they were showing, um uh, I forget the one by Tomino. Oh, uh G Rec. Yeah, that one. <laughs> the one that I have not seen. And uh there's also that new one that's coming out that just came out. Oh yeah. Iron Blooded Yeah, Orphans. Iron Blooded Orphans. So they got a ton of stuff that they can Put in this game. Oh, and Gundam: The Origin. Ugh, I gotta wash out the taste of full boost. It sounds like. Yeah, just don't worry <laughs> about that. Uh, play SD Gundam. You'll be happy, and maybe we'll get a new Super Robot Wars game this year too. It's, the time has come. Oh, I'm sure. I think they talked about it a little bit in a previous issue of Famitsu recently. Like the SRW folks were saying, they have plans for this year, which is not all Good, that surprising. Good because but... I am ready for something new. Because as much as I liked Super Robot Wars Z. By by the by Z three part two, I was so burned out on that particular iteration, just because I'd seen that look and I had been using those robots yeah. and I had been playing in that particular story arc for so long. It started in two thousand eight, yeah. and let me tell you, Super Robot Wars Z might be the best Super Robot Wars game ever made. It was a phenomenal game. And Z2, like, was a terrific follow-up. But, God, by Z3, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I have been grinding through this this series, like, spending hundreds of hours on them. I need a break. I I need them to, like, start fresh, give me a clean slate, give me some new robots, maybe bring back some classic throwbacks, and put it on the PS4. Yeah. I'm sure whatever the next one will be, it'll probably be PS4... Vita and something else, because that's typically what Namco Bandai is doing now with all their games. Uh, but yeah, I could, I could go for, uh, I don't know, I could go for an, an OG game, I think, because OG Second was so Oh yeah, good. OG looked amazing, um, and it was definitely, like, what I wanted out of a Super Robot Wars game. It felt like a full-blooded console experience. Exactly, As opposed to yeah. Z3, which I got on my PS3, and it's like playing a Vita game on my TV. Because that's exactly. I mean, that was super frustrating. (laughs) Like they just upres the PSP game. I mean, yeah, they added a bunch of new stuff and a bunch of new animations and everything. But uh, the top-down map does not work 
No. And even then, too, like, if you compare animations to second OG, like, it's not even, it's not even in the same ballpark. Like, you can see which game they put more effort into, like... Oh, no, easily. like, second OG uh, is one of the best-looking games on the PS3, full stop. Exactly, yeah. It's, that's why it just makes it that much more And now I want to play second OG again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I got it, I got it sitting in, uh, near my TV. I can, like, totally pop it in and start playing it, so. Alright, Elliot. Um, yeah. Right now you're playing Odin Sphere Letrazir, which just yes. came out in Japan, yes, if I'm not mistaken. About yep. days and ago, yeah. it's going to be out in the U.S. in June. Share your thoughts on that one. All right, so I'm going to go on the record here. I did not beat the original Odin what? Sphere on the PlayStation 2. Uh, I got probably five hours into it before I was just like, you know what, I don't want to play this game anymore. Well, uh, sounds like you're not really a JRPG a- fan then. No. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful yeah. game with amazing music. I loved the five hours of story that I played. I just didn't like playing it. And part of the reason is because I felt the maps were samey. Like, everything is the circle map. You know, everything is... You run in a circle. There's no, like, variation to those maps. You just run to a circle to the next area, run to a circle to the next area. That, that started to kill me after a while. That, and I felt like the, the whole stamina system that the combat had, like, completely took away... Um, just the flow of combat because you would be stopping in the middle of a combo to make sure your your POW meter went up, your power meter went back up again, so that you wouldn't become exhausted. Um, that and like having to go into the menu to use spells, etc. And as far as I could tell, like those spells were consistent across all five characters, which to me was a big disappointment. Like the way this like the skill system in that game worked. Like I have a love hate relationship with um, VanillaWare games and that like. I keep wanting to love them, and I get so close, but there's something there that just kind of Did you like Dragon's Crown? Um, I, am, see, I enjoyed Dragon's Crown probably the most, because I was playing with Me other too. people. Me too. Yeah, it's, it's a great um, brawler. Kind of like Diablo, you know? Like, I thought that was an excellent brawler with, like, enough reason for me to go back, like, and play with other people, you know what I mean? Like, go grind for new gear, etc. Like, that was probably my favorite of their games, just because I felt like it succeeded in what it was trying to do. The thing that do. really worked about that um, game was the fact that you the levels would split into two. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't just going through the same level over and over again. And if you went to the second part, it was something totally different with a totally different boss. So yeah. it felt like you were advancing, and it didn't get too grindy. It, it The back half was a little grindier than it should have been, but... Totally, but I you know I sort of expect that from that kind of game. You know, it reminded me of the old Capcom Dungeons & Dragons you know, brawlers, which was intentional. It was super um, relaxing to play. Yeah, I, definitely. Uh, that was definitely a Vita game for me. Um, so I was actually not all that hot on this Odin Sphere. Let's call it an HD remaster right, for now. Sure. Uh, initially, uh, because again, like I had so many problems with that game that I, you know, I just did not see what, you know, gussing it up and making it look prettier would do for that game. As time wore on. Um, I started comparing videos they would release, you know, because they would talk about how, oh, they've changed all these things, but as far as I could tell, it looks like the same game, just, you know, in HD now. So I started to go back and compare to old videos, and um, the demo came out a few weeks ago, so I tried that as well. And it's, it's just, a, it's like, outside of the, the core visuals, it is a remake of Odin Sphere. Um, in terms yeah, of it's gameplay. totally different, right? I but mean... It's, it's completely different to the point that they include the original game inside of this if you don't like this new Oh, game. you can get it on PSN. Uh, no, not even on PSN. If you, uh, like, 
like if you if you buy uh lifters there like on the main menu like there's an option that just says classic mode and if you go into it it's just odin sphere ps2 except you know that's very thoughtful of them like all the them yes it's very cool i'll never touch it but the actual core game has changed in so many significant ways that like as someone who was not into that original game i am you know i'm all about this game right now I'm, i'm super into it and you know part of it like one of the big changes that like kind of immediately hits you is that uh, they've just added new stages. Like, the simple thing of, like, you know what? Not every single map's going to be a circle now. Like, now there's platforming. Now there's stages that are completely vertical. Now there are horizontal stages with multiple levels on them. Now there are smaller rooms that only have, like, treasure chests and, like, you know, sneak attacks and stuff like that. Um, it There's a lot more variation. Like, it feels closer. Um, it's, not, it's not at all the same, but it feels closer to something like... Uh, the way Valkyrie profile or even exist archive functions, and you know you have platforming, like sprinkled throughout levels and stuff like that, um, and so that you know helps you not get tired of just running through the same map over and over again. There's just way more variation there. On top of that, uh, they've completely changed the skill system now. So now you have a skill tree. Uh, each character has a skill tree that is unique to them. Um, so spells like Cyclone and Fire and stuff, those are now items only. Those are not uh, spells that you use. Um, as a result, so you go into the skill tree, each character has, you know, a host of new attacks that did not exist in the original, all with brand new animations, uh, that you can combo into one another, and you no longer need to enter a menu to execute those. They're all assigned to the circle button, um, you go into a menu and you can assign shortcuts, um, so you have, you know, circle button, you have up circle, right circle, down circle, left circle, and you can assign skills to that as you see fit, um, so you can combo into attacks really easily. On top of that, now you have a new slide attack, you have new air abilities, you have new dash abilities, um, you have a dodge, now a proper dodge button that you can use uh, that has invincibility frames, etc. It plays much more like a proper action RPG instead of the very slow, kind of methodical do your basic combo, back away, do your basic combo, back away, that was the original Odin Sphere. Um, it's a lot more technical, which is very, very Yeah, cool. it felt like Odin Sphere, as beautiful as it was, it was really flawed. So this is kind yeah. of the, like, all right, time to make amends, like, make this game a lot better. And it feels like they've learned a lot since then. And you could kind of see that yeah. reflected in Dragon's Crown, right? I mean, the grindiness was still there, but it was a lot more varied. It was a lot more fun. And most importantly, I feel like that grindiness at least made sense for the type of game that they made. You know what I mean? Like, I when I play Diablo, I'm okay with the grind because that's the kind of game that that is later on. And for, you know, Dragon's Crown, it made sense because you were trying to grind to get better equipment to do the harder difficulties and keep going up a plateau. So at least that made sense. But for something like Odin Sphere, the original Odin Sphere, I remember friends telling me that, like, you know, there was a lot of grinding, apparently, in the late game of that, um, if you want to clear all the characters and get the true ending. Um, and for me, like, that, you know, that was a huge turnoff. I didn't want to do that. Whereas here, um, in the, when I was playing the demo, I was trying all the different characters, and like all the skills are super unique. Each character is completely different from the last in terms of the moveset and what they can do. Um, it, it's really impressive. It changes the way you play the game like significantly. And the fact that everybody has new animations. Um, there's new music. There's like 22 new tracks in the game uh, that were composed by Sakamoto. And then on top of that, like the game is just faster. You move faster. It feels closer to Muramasa in terms of like movement speed than it does the original Odin Sphere. Um, you know, the fact that the frame rate is stable. I'm playing on the Vita right now, and I've had no slowdown whatsoever. Um, you know, that in itself is a, is a mild miracle because the original Odin Sphere chugged. 
Like, I don't know how they got that game to run on the PlayStation 2, but, man, that was a minor miracle. All right, I'm really excited for Les Rizier now, uh, except for the part of the fact that it's going to be coming out, oh, when I'm busy getting ready for E3. So it's going to be interesting finding the time to play this game, but I will make it work. All right, Elliot, before we finish up, what games are hot in Japan that maybe Americans are not familiar with? Hot in Japan that Americans aren't familiar with right now? Um, Honestly, right now it feels like Japan is still going crazy for uh, Splatoon, but the two other games that that have kind of been occupying the top charts recently, still Monster Hunter X, um, which I've put a lot of time into as well, and Monster Strike for the 3DS, uh, which is a, a... handheld RPG version of the mobile game, um, which has been doing really well despite the fact that the game kind of looks like junk. Like, if the Puzzle and Dragons um, Z and, like, Puzzle and Dragons Super Mario Brothers was, like, you know, gung-ho Nintendo kind of putting money into this property, this Monster Strike 3DS game feels like the opposite, like a really low-budget money grab that has somehow almost sold a million copies. Uh, which is really bizarre to me. but <laughs> Yeah, uh, a friend of mine who's really into Monster Hunter imported Monster Hunter X. Um, you put it in your top 10 games of 2015, uh, so you really like it. Yes. You said it was like Monster Hunter All-Stars. Monster Hunter All-Stars, but also kind of weird because they're experimenting with so many like new game systems there. Um, and ironically, it sold better. I want to say it sold better than 4G did in Japan, which I don't think Capcom was expecting because they didn't ship that many copies. Uh, so their weird experiment ended up doing better than their last big expansion, which is kind of funny. That is kind of funny. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the coming year, aside from SD Gundam Genesis, which, I mean, that should be a given. <laughs> uh, in the coming year, I'm actually looking forward to... Uh, I'm looking forward to Star Ocean 5 not being Star Ocean 4. That's a big one for me. Um... I'm also looking for, and this is actually just next month, uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4 Final, uh, because I'm a huge Mega Ten fan, and mm-hmm. I didn't think we were going to get another Mega Ten game for like a half decade, because that's how these things work. But we're, instead, we're getting a sequel to the last one, which I, you know, I loved. So that's really high up on my list right now. I, other than that, I'm hoping that Trails of Cold Steel 3 comes out in Japan this year, but who knows, they just announced it, so... <laughs> Well, excellent. Well, if people enjoy your thoughts on JRPGs, they can check you out over on Twitter. On What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter is uh, Ryoga Saotome, R-Y-O-U-G-A-S-A-O-T-O-M-E. Yeah, he, uh, you will go through Famitsu when a new one comes out, and you will pull a lot of the new announcements. So it's a really good way to keep up with kind of what's going on over in Japan. And then also you have your Tumblr, which is Doki Doki Kusuge which um, yep. has extended thoughts, and you really kind of, like, run the gamut of Japanese games. Like, you cover, like, pretty much everything, so whenever... I... Yeah, a lot of people like to like me to suffer, too, so <laughs> people kind of push for bad games mm. sometimes, but, yeah, for the most part, I try to cover things I like, but that doesn't Yeah, you're sense. really... <laughs> you're pretty even-handed in your coverage, and you go a lot deeper than I do with uh, JRPGs in particular, so my hat's off to you. And keep up good work. And do you have anything else to plug? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm also a, a staff writer at sci-fi games.com. So if 
Like, I, I typically write a feature a week about something or other, so if you want to check that out, feel free to head over there as well. Uh, other than that, no, I'm, I'm all okay. right. And, of course, US Gamer is the host of Acts of the Blood God. Go check us out over on usgamer.net. Follow us on all of the social media, Facebook and Twitter and all that at usgamer.net. Um, also on Twitch, we're doing some more Twitch stuff lately. Um, Bob recently hosted a tribute to David Bowie, which is definitely worth checking out. And we usually archive our streams over on YouTube. And in the meantime, like we've kind of gotten back into it in earnest. We've got a couple of cover stories coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, and you should go check out my article on Trails of Cold Steel and what I was thinking about that. But in any case, next week, we've got an, uh, a special guest. We've got Tyler from Red Hook Games. He's coming on, and we're going to do a really deep dive into Darkest Dungeon, which is getting a full release next week. I am so pumped. I am playing, so I am playing the early access game version right now. That game is kicking my ass, and it is glorious, and I love it. Oh, I so want it. You can look forward to my full review next week when it becomes fully available. But until then, Elliot, thanks for coming on the show. It's always great to have you. Thank you. It's been a yeah, pleasure. Yeah, we'll check as in always. with you after E3, and we'll talk about what will be coming out in Japan in the back half of the year. But until then, uh, thanks for your time, and enjoy all the RPGs. Thanks for listening, and until next week. Happy adventuring. Mm-hmm.